this morning, as we are, are celebrating and uh, commemorating the Last Supper that Jesus Christ had with his own uh, disciples, I would like to share the message, uh, the two covenants. I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring in our minds that event in a, such a wonderful and alive atmosphere. Because communion is not a ritual that we do because it's the first Sunday of the month and we need to celebrate the communion. Communion should be something that we truly feel in the heart because we are reflecting on what Jesus Christ has done for us, the finished work of Calvary. And uh, his death on Calvary, his resurrection, and the proclamation of his coming back is something that should give us strength and energy and hope for our walk with God in the present time. So I pray that we understand that this morning through the light of the scripture that we are living in this new covenant that Jesus Christ inaugurated, dying on the cross. So let's read together the two covenants that are spoken about in Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 7 to 13. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the presence that we have in our midst of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for your word. As we are reading your word, oh Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to bring us this passage alive in our hearts. I pray for myself, oh God, as you help me to deliver this message, oh God. I cannot do it in my own strength. I need your guidance, Lord, and I submit myself to you, O Lord, so that you can give me and bring in my mouth the words that need to be said, O Lord. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, O Lord, that their hearts will be open to receive you. In the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to him be the glory. Amen. Amen. So let's read in Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 7 to 13. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming. And here the starts, I want you to know that this is a, a passage that the writer to the Hebrews quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31. And this is the longest quote that we have in the New Testament of the Old Testament. It's the longest quote of the Old Testament in New Testament. And it begins with this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I look. I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. 
Here is ending the quote for Jeremiah. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is already to vanish away. Praise God. Oh, let me introduce uh, this message saying that the biblical definition of covenant needs to be understood. A covenant is a solemn, a legal binding relationship agreement between two parties, which is normally activated and sealed by the shedding of blood. And we have in the same book of Hebrews also this affirmation that without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness. And what we can say on that, in a very specific way, the covenant is an agree, agreement which brings about a relationship of a, a commitment between God and his people. So this is a quote from the Oxford Dictionary. Now, why so important for us that we understand the covenant that God has stipulated with his own people? We have different covenants in the Bible. Among them, there are some kind of sub-covenants that we have with Noah or David. Today, we don't have enough time to deal with these other covenants. A covenant has terms and conditions that two parties need to agree upon. And once are stipulated, need to be kept. Now, God made no covenant with man as man's equal. What it means that? It means that when God made a covenant, it's not that God and mankind are at the same level. The covenant that God made with us are under God's authority. It's God that established the condition of such covenant. We cannot impose on God our will. It's God's will that should be imposed on us. And we need to understand very clear that. Now, the Hebrew word for covenant is berit. That was translated in the New Testament, diateke. Meaning that covenant that God does with a lower part. It means that God determines the statement of the covenant in itself. Man and God are not equal in this covenant. God is above. It is not a transaction that we made between two equal parts. God has the priority. God has his own will and he shares his plan to all of us. Why? Because he knows better. And he's God. And because he's God, he knows what is a better thing for our lives. God has always related to mankind through covenants. And then an understanding of covenant is crucial for us. How we can serve God if we don't understand the covenant that he made with us? How can we agree with the statements of the covenant if we have no clear in our mind what is the desire of God for our lives? So this morning we are celebrating the communion. And what this means for us, how the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is affecting our lives today. How this 
commemoration or a remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ is affecting the life that we live in Christ today. So today I would like to show you through the scriptures the integrity of this plan. First of all, let me tell you something that the old covenant points out to Jesus. All the covenants that we have in the Old Testament are pointing to Jesus Christ, the anointing one, the Christ, the Messiah that was supposed to come. The Bible says in Peter's epistle that God already, even before the foundation of the world, had prepared the coming of Jesus Christ on earth. So all the covenants, starting with Adam and Eve, starting with Abraham, starting with Moses, and so forth, are pointing out to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now, the three main love systems are found in the Scripture. God has given us some direction related to the covenants. Now, God's response to people is based on the covenant and law system that He revealed to his people, in particular the people of Israel. If we go in Romans chapter 8 from verse 2 to 4, we find how Paul the Apostle is explaining this very clearly. Romans chapter 8 verse 2 and 4. Paul says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ. Listen, for the law, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Three laws are clearly expressed in this passage. First, the law of sin and death that came through Adam. Very simple. You sin, you die. Remember what God told Adam and Eve? If you eat of this fruit... Of knowledge, what happened? You will die. Disobedience brought physical death. And also separation with God. Then you have the law of performance that came through Moses. Do good and you get good. Do bad and you get bad. Remember Deuteronomy 28 to 29. If you do good, God will give you blessing. If you will do bad, God will draw his blessing from your life. Then there is the love, the spirit of life that we have been receiving through the coming of Jesus Christ. He died, therefore you are in grace and are blessed by that sacrifice. Paul is saying clearly that what we were not able to do, what we couldn't do for ourselves because of the strength of the law, Jesus did for our place. So he took our place. You were not able. I was not able to be saved in my own strength. My own obedience to the law was not enough for me. Because it was too hard to be obeyed. But Jesus did in our favor. 
So God's relationship with mankind was related to three main covenants that came out of this three main law. First, the covenant of sin and death. Agreed with Adam and Eve. All the offspring that came out of Adam and Eve, us included, we carry the nature that is sinful in our hearts. If you will disobey, you will die. Did Adam and Eve die on the spot when they eat the, the fruit? No. But they died spiritually in their moment. Sin brought separation between them and God. They understood that they were naked. <laughs> they find that to cover themselves. They run away from God. How come before they were able to stand in the presence of God with no fear? Because the sin wasn't there. But the moment that they sinned, that sin brought separation. Then we have the covenant of faith and righteousness that was given to Abraham. When Abraham received the promise of God, that promise was this, that his offspring will be blessed and be a blessing to other nations of the earth. It's the grace that was given in count of Abraham for his righteousness. And that promise, that covenant, was repeated through the scriptures. Even in Habakkuk, the righteous will live or shall live by faith. Paul take that quote in one of his epistles and say again that Abraham was a count as a righteous man because of the faith in Jesus Christ. And again, then we have the Mosaic covenant after Abraham. That was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, where he received the law. And uh, this was passed and agreed with the people of Israel many, many times. And through the observance of the law, the law was giving the possibility for people to get connected with God. But was not truly something that the people could satisfy. Again, no one of us could satisfy the requirements of the law. If you have been attending the Bible study on Wednesday night, we have been studying it through the Galatians, the letter of Paul to the Galatians, and we have been discussing a lot between the work of the law and the grace that was given to all of us in Jesus Christ. And Paul clearly says that the law in itself couldn't give us salvation. Only Jesus and his finished work on Calvary was able to give us that salvation. So the people of Israel noticed that the observance of the, those covenants and the law, the Mosaic law, was not able to guarantee them salvation. And prophetically, already Jeremiah foresaw that inability of the law to fulfill salvation, to grant salvation. That's why the quoted passage from Jeremiah 31 and from 31 to 34 that was quoted in Hebrews chapter 8 is so important. Jeremiah saw the necessity of a new covenant. Jeremiah saw the necessity to proclaim to the people of Israel the importance of something better for them. And today, as we are celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we are proclaiming this coming back, we understand that grace was given to us, that we are the beneficiaries of this new covenant that received in Christ. 
Ezekiel also in chapter 11 verse 19 speaks about God changing the heart of man. The law cannot be observed through a natural heart. There was a need of a transplant. And God says, I will remove the heart of stones and I will put a new heart of flesh. He will do something great for the people of Israel and for us as the Gentiles. Those who are not belonging to the lineage of uh, the Jewish people. But praised be the name of God. That God in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit has been removing in our hearts those hard stones. And has given us a new heart that is able to understand grace and forgiveness. So praise God for this. The epistle to the Hebrews clearly declares that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of a new and better covenant. It speaks very clear in this passage that we read at the beginning of this sermon. And also in chapter 10 verse 16 says that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this new covenant. So, and this brings into the second lesson we can learn. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is our guarantor. Is the one that say, I'm guaranteeing for them. When the enemy will come and accuse you before God, Jesus said, Father, don't pay attention to those accused. I pay the price. I guarantee on their behalf. So this morning, as you are approaching the table of the Lord, remember that. That you are standing and able to partake of the table of the Lord because Jesus Christ is your guarantor. He paid the price for you. And why? Because Christ's priesthood is superior to all, all, all other high priests that came before him. If you read chapter 8 from verse 1 to 6, the writer speaks about the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus Christ if he compared with the previous one. Why? Because all the high priests that came before Jesus died. And their lives are finished there. But today, this morning, through the bread and life, we are remembering that Jesus Christ is not laid down on the tomb anymore. He's resurrected. And more than this, is at the right hand of the Father. He's in the heavenly tabernacle. And he's interceding for us. Jesus Christ is continuing his working of being a mediator between man and God. Not only that, he's interceding for you and me this morning. That's why he can guarantee our salvation. Then Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant of the law. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. We read in Romans uh, chapter 8 before that what the law was not able to do in our lives, Jesus Christ did for us. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, Christ is not sinful. God, Christ, didn't make any sin while he was on earth. 
He was able to fulfill the law as a perfect man. He's the only one that fulfilled all the requirements of the law. That's why the law in itself was satisfied. Do you understand the privilege that we have in Jesus Christ? No man could fulfill the law. Now, the law, it was not a mistake that God committed. It's not that God giving us the covenant or giving the people of Israel the covenant of the Mosaic law made a mistake. No. They were the men, the Israelites, that were not able to fulfill the law. So, Jesus Christ is the only human being that fulfilled the law. And that's why, because he fulfilled the law, he annulled the law. Make sense to you? He fulfilled the requirements of the law, so now he can offer to us his grace. And this is so important. So this morning, as you approach the table, remember this, that what you couldn't do it, Jesus Christ did for you. Be grateful for this. The new covenant is now the dominant and overriding covenant that precedes all the previous one. We are not under the law anymore. We are no more under the requirement of the law. Because Jesus Christ accomplished that for all of us. And uh, for those who would agree with the sacrifice, now we can say like Paul, that Christ was crucified, but also us were crucified with him. And we are also resurrected with him. Now, the life that we live, we don't live that life no more like we were doing before when we didn't know Jesus. Now we know Jesus and his life is lived in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is so much meaning when we celebrate the communion. So we remember, we remember that we are not living anymore for ourselves, but we are living for the one that saved us. He rescued us. We were sinners, but now because we are placing our trust in God, we can live the life of Jesus Christ. We can overcome sin. We can overcome temptation. When the temptation comes, we are standing on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and say, I can resist that. Not because of my strength, but because the power of Jesus Christ is in me. And this comes only when we surrender our life to him. Jesus Christ came because those who believe in him will be Saved by him. We'll have the right to be called the children of God. Praise God for this. We are being adopted in his family. We are partakers of the nature, divine nature of God. Praise God. So Jesus fulfilled also the Abrahamic covenant. He made possible what Abraham received by grace of God. I will make you a blessing to the nation. I will bless those who will bless you. I will curse those who will curse you. This we'll find in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. But you see, in Jesus, we are more than victorious people. We are conquerors. We are those who are standing on the righteousness of Christ. And your life today is a living testimony of what Jesus Christ can be and can do in the life of other people.
Don't you know that we are called ambassadors of Christ? Don't you know that you can vehiculate the message of the gospel to other people? Don't you know that you are able to bring salvation in the heart of other people at the moment that you share the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is a good news. We cannot keep it for ourselves. We are saved so we can bless others with the gospel. We are saved because we are proclaiming that Jesus Christ died, he resurrected, and we are waiting him coming back. If we fail to bless others, we also are failing to fulfill in our lives this blessed covenant that Jesus Christ came to inaugurate. Do you understand now why Jesus said to his own disciples on the mountain of Galilee, when he was ready to ascend to heaven and to be with his father, he said, I give you all authority. Go, go preach the gospel. Teach the things that I taught and make disciples those who have believed in me. Baptize them in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you understand why the Great Commission has meaning and value? Because it is included in that covenant that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. To be a blessing for others. Now we all, we all are included in the offspring of Abraham. Doesn't matter if you are not in the lineage of the Jewish people. Doesn't matter if you are not belonging to the nation of Israel. Now in Christ, you and I have been part of the church of Jesus Christ. God has his own purpose for Israel. God has not finished yet with Israel. There will be a moment where God will deal with the nation of Israel. And that's why as a congregation, as Christians, we should pray for the well-being of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. But... As a church, we have the privilege to bless others because we are part of the Abrahamic blessing and covenant. And you know, during this time, Jesus clearly alluded in his ministry while I was on earth that he came to give salvation also to those who were not part of the nation of Israel. This is clearly mentioned in John chapter 10, verse 16. But also in Matthew 15, 22, when he spoke and he was dealing with the Canaanite woman, he said something very important. I was sent only to the lost ship of Israel. I was not sent only for them. I came to give salvation to everybody. So much God loved the world that he gave his own begotten son. For what? Whosoever will believe in him. What will do? Will have or shall have eternal life. Doesn't say only the tribes of Israel. No. Whosoever. You and I are included in this. So today we are rejoicing. As we are taking part of the table of the Lord. And this brings to the third point. The cross is the banner of the new covenant. The cross, the finished work of Calvary, is the banner of this covenant. 
You know, when I was in the army, every morning there was the, this ritual, the raise of the flag. You go there in the square, um, and then the national anthem is playing, and you raise the flag. And beside the flag, there was the, band, the flag of our battalion. Every single morning, we had to do that ceremony, because this is the flag. And uh, there is a, nothing more secret and valuable for a, a battalion if you lose your own flag. Now, the enemy thought that crucifying Jesus Christ was the end of the plan of salvation. But it was wrong. The cross is our banner. The cross is reminding us that Christ won. It was not defeated. He won the battle. Because Jesus Christ was resurrected. He paid the price. He came to accomplish salvation. He was so determined to die on the cross. More than one time he says, no one takes my life. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. For you this morning. So as we are taking the communion this morning, think that Jesus Christ was willing to lay down his own life for you and I today. It's not just a ritual what we are doing. We are remembering that the cross, the finished work of Calvary, Jesus rescued our lives. Jesus saved us without no second thought. And when he was clearly addressing his mission, Peter, one of his own disciples, the one that would say, I will die for you, Jesus. It says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21-23, that he rebuked the plan of Peter to stop him to go to Calvary. Look what Jesus says. From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Can you imagine Peter calling Jesus? Jesus, let's have a talk one-on-one -on -one here. You don't understand. You cannot do that. Can you imagine? He did it. He was so blind. He missed to understand the vision and mission that Jesus had. But listen, Jesus, how he answered. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus was determined to die. He embraced Calvary. He embraced the death of, of the cross. And that's why you can say, if you want to follow me, renounce it to yourself, take up your cross and follow me. How many times, brothers and sisters, we don't value enough what Jesus was willing to do for us. We want to have a, a Christianity without having the load of the cross. 
We won't have a salvation without carrying the cross. Without embracing the shame of the cross. But Jesus was determined. He understood that Peter was giving room to Satan. He didn't see Peter say those words. He sees Satan behind him. And my brothers and sisters, today, as you partake at the table of the Lord, understand, understand that you cannot be called Christian if you are not willing to embrace the banner of the cross. That's why when we celebrate communion, we say, if you are not in fellowship with Christ, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, these elements of the bread and the cup, the wine, has nothing value. There is nothing. It's just crackers. It's juice. If you are not willing to embrace the cross... And the finished work of Calvary. This are a ritual without no meaning, without no effect in your life. And that's why we encourage people not to partake of the communion. But Jesus was determined to finish the atoning work of Calvary for us. You see, if Jesus was just determined to live a holy life without dying on the cross... That holy life would have been incomplete. But he died on the cross. He finished the job. And this is an encouragement to all of us this morning. That as we are partaking of the elements. We should take the commitment to renew our commitment. To just finish our walk with Christ until the end. Because the word of God says. That not only those who are beginning the walk, but those who are finished the work will be with Jesus. Doesn't matter how you started the work. It's important how you will finish the work. And this is a remembrance for us to keep our eyes focused on Calvary. You see, the new covenant starts at Calvary. That's a start when Jesus was born only. Soon we are celebrating Christmas, right? And we all love the atmosphere of Christmas. We all love the decoration, the lights. It creates a nice atmosphere within the family, right? But remember, if Jesus was just born and not dying on the cross, there will be no salvation for us. But Jesus was born, he endured until the end. And today you and I must remember this. Must remember that we are preaching Jesus Christ crucified. I, lo I love what Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 1 verse 23. Uh, says people are looking for signs and wonders. The Jews are looking for signs and wonders to confirm that Jesus was the Messiah. The Greek, they were looking for wisdom. They were philosophers. So they were looking for a way to understand rationally how this God could die on the cross for us. To them, Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and fully to Gentiles. 
We preach Christ crucified. You see, the cross dealt with sin once for all. This is the uniqueness of Christianity. We preach Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension and glorification at the right hand of God and the fact that he will come back. We preach Christ crucified. Something that was horrible, something that was shameful for others, but for us that we have been saved through the new covenant, this is, is our pride. I don't want to be Boston, nothing else than the cross of Jesus Christ, said Paul. And my brothers and sisters this morning, are you proud of the cross of Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed of the cross? Or you are saying, doesn't matter what, I will still preach Jesus Christ the crucified and nothing less. That's the message that people desperately need to hear today, my brothers and sisters. And if we as a church, we stop to preach the Christ crucified, the Christ that died on the cross, the Christ that resurrected from the power of death, the Christ that is coming back, we are failing. We are failing. Jesus knew our nature. We are easy to forget. We are easy to despise the cross. And that's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time we partake on the table of the Lord, we are remembering that Jesus Christ died on Calvary. That he did everything was necessary. That the cross dealt with sins once for all and brought us victory. Before the cross, there was no permanent forgiveness or atonement for sins. But after Jesus died, after his blood was shed, after his body was bruised for iniquities, we have a full atonement for sins. There is no more need for other sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was so perfect that even John the Baptist, when pointed out to Jesus that was coming to him to be baptized, says, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And praise God for this. No one was righteous in God's eyes before Christ's death. In Colossians 2, 13, 15, Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? Oh, by Canceling the record of a debt that stood against us with its legal demands. If you are buying a house, you have to sign a deed, right? There was a legal document that was against us. But Jesus canceled that. Jesus canceled that. This he set aside, nailing, where? Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, I like that. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. Praise God. As we look at the cross, we understand now that the devil has no power on us. He has been disarmed. He has been removed. All the power 
because Jesus Christ took over. So praise God for this. The cross destroyed the power of sin. The cross destroyed the fear of death. Now we are in Christ. Now we can serve God. We can enjoy his salvation.